0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster, and since this October, we are in our second week of looking into the more spooky side of history, the more mysterious side of history. And today I am speaking with one of the authors of Haunted Kernersville, Kelly McGuire Hargett. Nestled between Winston-Salem, Greensboro, and High Point, North Carolina was once a sleepy little village just a stop on a great wagon road and it became a thriving community in the 19th century. Residents have spent lifetimes looking for one another and sometimes they continue to do so even in death. Does a young soldier haunt the Kernersville Museum flirting with women who work there? Learn the truth of the ghost of the old McQuiston house. Local institutions like the P&N store and Snow's Diner also claim their share of spooky experiences. Kernersville Museum Director Kelly Hargett and local theater founder Scott Eisenhower tell ghost tales that are sometimes comical, sometimes heartwarming, and sometimes a little hair-raising. Kelly, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you. All right, so let's talk a bit about Kernersville itself. And I'm saying that right, correct?
1: Yes, Kernersville.
0: All right, because I've had people say it the wrong way to me, so I wanted to make sure I was correcting them when I said it back. Um, So where is the town located?
1: So we are um, in the heart of the triad, so right near Greensboro and uh, Winston-Salem, about 12 miles outside of Winston-Salem, about 18 miles from Greensboro.
0: All right, it's easy enough to f- figure out where that's at, Been up that way uh, you know, more than once. Um, recently, back in 2018, actually. No, wait, 2019. Um, for the, yeah, there was a book festival up there. Um, I came to and actually hosted a TV show for the North Carolina public television, a little book interview thing up there. So yeah, I got to uh, be part of the bookmarks book festival up there that year. Um, we had a hurricane down here one day, got up the next day, drove up there. So (laughs) But oh, it was just, wow. It was just a category two. It's okay. so Oh, yeah. You know, you know, it was easy, yeah. Yeah. If it's like, if it's a mile three and below, we kind of ride it out. So I'm not saying anybody yeah. else should do that. It's your own personal decision, but, you know, because if I don't say that, I might get in trouble from people saying, like, Johnny said it was okay. To... Johnny didn't say that. That's your decision to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. That's your no, own personal decision. Um, yeah. So... Let's talk a bit about the town what's its history and i know it dates back to the 1700s but it wasn't a town then; it was a village so give us a little idea of the history of the area
1: so connersville it's it's an interesting little place um and it was actually a um offshoot of the great wagon road and we had a lot of native americans who were traveling through here um a lot of folks here um they're like oh there were cherokees settled here um There actually weren't because we we found so many artifacts from so many different Native American tribes that we know that this was a huge travel route. So they were coming through here, um, all different tribes, and they were trading and traveling. So we have all kinds of artifacts. Um, So although there weren't Indians living here, they were uh, moving quite a bit through the area. And so because they were moving quite a bit through the area, they had some well-worn paths. And so when uh, the settlers came in, they found those paths and that's where they started traveling. Um, So it was kind of a naturally occurring crossroads here um, between Winston-Salem, or I'm sorry, it would have been Winston then, but Winston and Greensboro. And there was a a Moravian settlement in Winston and there was a Quaker settlement in Greensboro. And so this is the route. Uh, Kernersville would have been the route that they were taking between those two settlements. Um, And that's how we kind of, got a little community started here. And
0: it's really interesting when you talk about that too, because the history of the community goes way back before the incorporation in the 1800s, late 1800s. It goes back, I mean, it could be millennia or depending on the date of the artifacts you found, because geography really, you know, I know in Georgia really, and in this area kind of dictated what native Americans were going to use as their trails, um and you know depending on where tribal settlements were at too because you know people seem to sometimes when i talk to folks they seem to think that the tribes kind of kept to themselves and that wasn't the case at all they would have I'm um, just like you know you might think about atlanta or winston-salem even charlotte um new york city even has you know big cultural trading centers uh capitalist centers if you would think i mean the native americans i'm not say insinuating they had a capitalist society but they did thrive on trade at different times um, these were areas they would come to to trade and so they you would have to have a network or a way to get about doing that and it's okay. neat to think about that the access roads and the they 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 were nations they were nation states they weren't just tribes they were nation states here um, before there were ever there was ever a European settlement, and it was huge numbers of indigenous people here.
1: Oh yeah, and 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 the roads were very well traveled, uh, and we've seen on old maps that they they knew their way around the area. So um, it was the smartest things that settlers could do was follow those well worn paths because they had already uh, figured out the best way to get from one place to another. Um, so it, it, it was a natural progression, and there was so much trade going on, and and what they found valuable from one tribe to another. It's very interesting, so.
0: Yeah, and when you hear about people, you know, pioneers and trailblazers. Okay, well, yeah, there is some of that in history too. But you also hear about them having a native guide. I'm like, well, how would they have a guide if they didn't know where to go already? You know? So. Oh yeah. It's, you know, it's kind Somebody of, had to
1: tell them how to get where they were going. Yeah,
0: it's kind of common sense, right? Like, well, he yeah. knows how to go and he follows that trail to get there. That means that there was already a way to get there. Um, you know, it's it, it, that part of history is always interesting to me. Um, cause oh, yeah. I really like learning a lot about, you know, history before there were settlers here. And, you know, what, because there's a lot we don't know about that. What would those communities be like? What were their governments like? How did they govern themselves? Because oh, yeah. uh, we we we'd like to imagine that we know, but we really don't know um, that much. We've so. had some
1: really great, um, well, you know, Wake Forest University is over in Winston-Salem, and, and they have a, a really great center of um, archae- ar- archaeology, and uh, we've had some guys come and talk to us about uh, the Native American settlements, and it, it, was, it was just fascinating, all the stuff that they could tell you. I mean, if you're like me with history, you kind of, a glance at a subject and you're like, "Yeah, that may not be very interesting. And then you hear a little bit about it and you're like, oh wait, now tell me more about that. <laughs> so it, it's been very beneficial to us because we get so much information, but uh, there's some guys that just study that stuff and it is, it's just so fascinating.
0: History is a scratch-off lottery ticket because you'll be like, well, this is not going to be anything. I'll be all scratched off because somebody gave it to me as a gift, and then you start seeing things start to match up. And you're like, okay, I got something here, so I got to keep scratching to see what the next thing's going to be. <laughs> um, that's what I feel like history is sometimes, especially with some unknown subjects. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's a really neat place. That whole area is a really beautiful area. I've always enjoyed coming up in there. But this brings us to the Bellamy House, a site you're familiar with, so how old is this house, who has lived here, and what is it used for now?
1: So the Bellamy house uh, was built in 1880. Um, it's kind of fascinating little history. Uh, the couple that lived here, they built the house. Um, of course, they had kids here um, and made it their home. And then uh, another interesting character in Carnesville's history, uh, she bought the property from them. And she is very fascinating and hard to get a whole lot of information on. Her name was Lizzie Sapp. Um, and she just is very fun. The information we find on her is just, is just so interesting. Um, she never lived with her husband. She bought property on her own. Um, we just can't find out a whole lot of information on her, just bits and pieces. And uh, she was implicated in a kidnapping at one time. Just a neat lady. I want to I know more. She's very, she's very interesting. Um, and then the Bellamy's bought the property from her. And the Bellamy's lived in this house the longest uh george and iona and george worked for rj reynolds and um and i want to stay home and and had quite the reputation in town for running people off because they have this great pear tree in their front yard and she never wanted anybody to take the pears and the kids in town <laughs> would all steal pears off her tree and she would kind of run them off um uh, but i think it was all good good fun with her um so uh, they they lived in this house and then they're their children and grandchildren actually lived in this house until a local attorney bought it and uh, and then gifted it to the town to make it a museum. So that it it's kind of a neat piece of Kernersville's history because when the town originally started growing, there were houses all through downtown. Well, as the town developed, of course, houses got torn down and businesses mm. were built. But this house is right in the middle of business businesses and, and at the square in the main part of downtown Kernersville. So it's like a little piece of old kernersville that's sitting right in the middle of downtown
0: yeah and you write about a ghost story and i kind of i know it was written in a way but i kind of feel like you have a personal touch to this ghost story um yeah i can kind of read between the lines there do you want to relate that ghost story to us
1: (laughs) Uh, we've had a couple of little incidences in this house um and it's so funny that it doesn't unnerve me Um, usually to be here by myself. And I am here a lot by myself um, because the museum is when we're open and folks come in and out and, you know, we have slow times and busy times. And so I was in here in a slow time and literally working away and something or someone whistled in my ear. Um, And it was an old tune I had heard, you know, from a movie or something uh, that you must remember this. And I just was like, oh, well, I'm going to get up and leave now, because there was nobody here but me. It didn't really scare me. It just kind of gave me that cold shiver, and I was like, yeah, I think I'm done for the day. It's about time. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Um, But we also had an interesting, after the book was written, we had a very interesting um, little thing happen where stuff gets gone a lot um, off my desk, and I'm always misplacing stuff and I'm like, how did that get wherever? And I will have sworn something was right here and I turn around and it's gone and happens to all of us. But we opened our time capsule. The town had buried a time capsule 50 years ago Mm -hmm. and, um, they did a really neat thing when they buried the the time capsule because Kernersville is all about being unique. They allowed citizens, like there were 200 personal letters in this time capsule. Um, to address to future descendants and so um and no way of knowing like who would get these which grandchild you know it was just like to my future descendants um it was very interesting so we pulled this time capsule up that had been buried for 50 years and we pulled it up um over the fourth of july weekend and everybody in town was here it was really interesting we pull all this stuff out we bring it all back to the museum to dry it out because a lot of it had gotten wet. No, and we were no. trying to dry out things. <laughs> no, um, it, it wasn't terrible. Not very many things were ruined, but most of it was savable. And there was a letter to the DAR, to the local chapter, of the DAR. And I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. I'm going to put it to the side and I'll call that chapter and tell them they have a letter here. And I put it on the corner of my desk, told my intern, there's the letter, you know, um, when the DAR lady comes, who I'm friends with, I was like, I'll give it to her. So I call her. She comes by. I go to get the letter. It's gone. And I was like, oh, it's right there. Nobody in the office. Nobody had been volunteering. Nobody moved it. Nobody could find it. We we just looked everywhere. The lady left, and she was like, call me when you find it. I apologize profusely. (laughs) You know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, The intern went downstairs, went into the bathroom, and found the letter. Nobody had carried it down there. Um, we were all so confused and I was like, I'm going to open this letter, even though it's not addressed to me. I want to know we opened it up and I Bellamy had written it to the wow. DAR and this was her house. And I was like, Oh, she just wanted us to know. She wanted us to know she was here and <laughs> she wanted us to, <laughs> I don't know why, but I just laughed and was like, that was Iona. She has taken this letter and moved it because she, <laughs> she just wants us to remember her. And, um, the DAR thought it was very funny. They got tickled at it too. So.
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it that's. It's kind of sweet. Well, also, you know, I don't know. It's kind of creepy. You know, if you think about people are always creepy, watching. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, if I'm like, you know, I don't know, blowing my nose or something. That's. I don't want anybody watching that. Know. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. Yeah, but most
1: he, of the we we don't run into malicious ghosts for the most part in Kernersville. They're all usually here for a good time. So.
0: <laughs> so there is a, a, a good time install. to be had in Kernersville. <laughs> <laughs> yep um yeah so there's other ghost stories that we won't go into because we want people to read about the ghost stories but you know we think that it might be tied to a soldier um perhaps and you know maybe flirted with you a little bit um we will save that for the book for anybody who wants to read about that but there's a story i enjoyed the book and I think it's because every town or if it's a bigger city, every neighborhood in that city has or had a place like Charlie Snow's Diner. Um, oh, yeah, that guy seemed like a character, Um he, you know, because he was somebody who was so, OK, you're by his dad, like you're getting on my nerves with this, not doing anything. <laughs> so you're going to go do something. And we all know somebody. Yep. We might have been that person. If you don't know that person, you're probably that person. Um, so, <laughs> yep. um, so what he does is he goes and he puts a roof, you know, on an alley between two buildings, one of them being his dad's store and, uh, opens a diner. Can you tell us about his diner, the size of the diner and his customers, um, just their experiences and what he was like?
1: Um, it's so fun that, so that this diner is still open to this day. It's under new management, of course, but it's nine feet wide, and it sounds insane, but it, it is. It's nine feet wide by 77 feet long. Um, it is just such an interesting place to be, and there's a huge counter. You walk in, and there's a huge counter. You can slide down to the left side of the, the building and sit at a counter seat, and there's a couple of tables in the back, but uh, Charlie ran this incredibly popular um, place in downtown. He guess he had a a penchant for knowing how to make hamburgers and hot dogs. And there is nobody that has lived in Kernersville who does not have a story about going to Charlie Snow's and getting a hamburger and uh, French fries or, or a Coke or ice cream or whatever. But it was also like the hub of business uh, before there was ever social media. I mean, every business person in town would go to Charlie's in the morning and get their coffee and get caught up on the gossip before they started their work day. So that's where you went to get your gossip and to get your lunch or your breakfast or your after school snack. And uh, Charlie just kept it, you know, just a great environment. And uh, we're very lucky that David Fitzpatrick, uh, when he retired, reopened it. And he does the same thing. It's a cash only place and uh, just serves great food. And that is still the hub. It's where you're going to go if you want any information. On anything that's happening in town, you can go in there, sit down, have something to eat, and you're going to get the best stories from downtown. But if you're staff, you're going to get uh, some kind of experience with what we all think is still Charlie who wants to still be working. Um, It's amazing. I actually was at a concert um, with David Fitzpatrick's wife last week, and she was like, you you know that those stories are real and i said well i assumed that they were when we were told them and she was like oh they're really real like it really happens i was like i know it's so funny but uh you know spatulas get moved and people feel people touch them on the back and it's almost like he's pushing people out of the way so he can get back to <laughs> the to the grill to work or or you know hurry them along because maybe they're not moving fast enough i don't know but um
0: Charlie's still, we think, hanging out over there. He's got things he's got to finish doing, I assume. It's like he's still managing the cooks and everything. That's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of neat, I think. Um, So, you know, I got my dog sitting right here with me. So we got to talk about the Doggy Bakery and Pet Market. Um, Oh, yeah. Can you give us a bit of history about that location and a little bit about what's happening now? So that location has been
1: a little bit of everything when they build it. Even even the guy who owned the building, he had his own uh, plumbing place there for a while, but then he'd turn around and rent it out. Uh, Mustin and Crutchfield, which is a, a local grocery store, was there for a while. Um, but now that it's a doggy bakery, and uh, and it's very popular there, you know, people love to come in and, and hang out there for the most part, but um, things always fall, and um people always see somebody walking around in there they always seem to describe the same same person walking around in there and the the story of the girl whose dog will not go in there um she was like she really will not she would have to pick up this huge lab and carry her into the store because she was terrified and that dog was scared of nothing i would see her go everywhere i mean she took her hunting and hiking and everywhere and ellie was you know all in to go anywhere that uh this lady wanted to go but she did not like going into that store and it's funny because everything that would fall would be about puppy height you know and dog height um but they just have some weird little things that happen in there um that they can't explain so Sounds it's like a fun interesting place sure. to
0: take your your dog if they want to go in um but the history of the building itself is you know just was interesting to me too and also you know Interactions with pets is always kind of interested to me when it comes to ghost stories. Um, But so for a second, um, because I do got a couple of other stories I want to get to after that before our time is up after this one. But I want to talk about the factory, um, that building and its history and what it is today. Um, Because I'm a big fan. One, I want to hear about the ghost story uh, or stories. But I'm also a big fan of readaptive use of Buildings, especially a building where you can have multiple things inside of it, um, I just think that that speaks a lot of a community where they figure out a way, um, or somebody in the community figures out of a way to reuse buildings, and you have a lot of that happening in Kernersville. Um, and the factory really catches my eye with that. So, can we talk about you know the reiterations of the factory and the history of it, and then oh, going yeah. to the story of the uh, more of the spooky elements. <laughs>
1: Well, it's it's interesting. The factories, so they built the original building in 1873, and um, it's uh, at the time R.J. Reynolds had not came along yet and and turned uh, you know tobacco into what it what it would be, and so there were a lot of little individual tobacco factories. I think Connersville had six tobacco factories, different tobacco factories, um, and so. But by the time R.J. Reynolds comes along, and he kind of Puts everybody out of business, and um, so they are like, oh, you know, what are we going to do now? And it ended up being a hosiery, they turned it into a hosiery mill. For a while, it was used as, as a, um, a hotel, and then they turned it into a furniture factory. And so, and of course, when they would change it into these different adaptations, they would add on to the building. So now it's a pretty big complex of buildings, but it's it's. Still a really neat building to go into, and now of course there's shops downstairs, in the lower levels, and then and there's even like a barber school and a tattoo shop. I mean, it's very interesting to go into. It has this beautiful courtyard that they turned into the middle, and then of course there's uh, condominiums upstairs, and uh, and they're just just fabulous. I mean, beautiful that beautiful use of space, and and they kept a lot of the old elements of the building. So it's it's really nice to go into. And kind of step back into history, but they do have some some weird things that happen there. And um, I I was very taken aback with the story of Hank. That <laughs> kind of I, I think that that's just the nickname that they gave him. But the guy who walks around and he seems to always have a red a red rag in his hand, and that's how they know it's him. Um, and he disappears. I think as a maintenance worker, and he's usually not trying to get anybody's attention. He's just kind of walking. They see him at the corner of their eye, like walking down the hall or away from them. So um, he's still hanging around the building. I think the folks that live there are kind of comfort, comforted by him, still hanging out, taking care of things, looking for stuff that needs to be fixed, I suppose. But, um, he's not mean. He's just hanging out in there.
0: Just keeping a watch over everybody and, <laughs> in the building that he had a charge over when he was here. Um, yep. So <laughs> we're, we're going to start running out of time, but there's a couple of other things I want to talk about, and that's really it kind of leads us up, I think, really towards the incorporation maybe towards that time of the town, and that's with the railroads and the changes it brought to Kernersville. Um, how did that change life in the area when the railroad comes through?
1: Well, when the railroad came through, um, the population of the town almost doubled in within like a few years. I think at one point we doubled in population and in an eight-year period just after the railroad started coming through. So the citizens of the town are really... Forward thinking in that um, they started laying, like getting together money. They raised money on their own and started laying the track on their own to kind of force the railroad into their town, which was so smart because you know they, if the railroad had not came through here, then I don't know that Kernersville would have developed in, into what it was. But so the current, so the railroad comes through, and of course, then once you see the railroad come through, you see. Um, businesses start popping up and more people moving into town, sidewalks being poured and electric lights and all the fun things that make your town, your town. So uh, the railroad just changed everything for folks around here.
0: Yeah. Industry and- will pop up. Um, hotels now pop up along these railroad lines. it is it, it, it's, it's like getting an airport or, you know, a major tourist attraction when a railroad would come to an existing town and a town didn't have to pop up along a railroad route.
1: Right. Yep. And, and Curmsville had a lot of little, um, a little hotels and even we had, of course, Dunlap Springs that a lot of people even in that live here and now don't realize that we had a a, 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 resort, um, in town. They, they don't realize that it, there used to be a, a very fancy nice hotel that had, <laughs> that people would come from everywhere to stay in um so it's it's a neat little piece of history that's been really forgotten about for the most part um but when you find those old articles talking about the Dunlap Springs Hotel it's just fascinating i mean it was they were having dances they were bottling water at the spring and selling it and um just it was just a beautiful great place huge company picnics were taking place down there it was just a just a resort to go and hang out at right in the heart of Kernersville.
0: Yeah. And remind me, did they believe that this is a spring that had medicinal qualities or?
1: They did. Yep. And so when you find the old ads, they, they break down like the water content and how they think that that's going to help heal you. And you need to go swim in the springs or drink water. And um, it's very interesting. So uh, it's a neat hotel that they had built down there that, eventually turned into a college, um, the property was after, after it was no longer a hotel and it was turned into a college. So it's kind of neat.
0: That is very neat. Well, we are, we got just a few more minutes left. And before we go, I want to let people know that speaking of the railroad, the passenger depot that did exist at the time, unfortunately is gone, but the town did save the freight depot. Um, because you would have different deep you would you know because you have different industries in town so you need a place to send out the goods that are manufactured in town and you don't necessarily want that to be from the same place that you have passengers um, waiting to leave the town um, but the passenger depot is gone, the passenger station um, but the freight depot is still there. Is there anything ghostly happening at the freight depot?
1: Oh yeah. Um, we have a a lot of little interesting things happen there. Um, the funniest, the one that we, we, we talk about in the book is, um, the, one of the guys who was maintenance, like going in and changing light bulbs and stuff. And he could hear somebody in there with him, like, um, whistling. I think he was whistling and and, um, I guess it was another maintenance worker or somebody who, who used to live there, but he, the maintenance guy was like, I'm not going back in there anymore alone. I need to go with other people cause it scared him so bad. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some things that go on in the depot that, um, we've had a couple of ghost hunting groups go in there and, and spend the night and they always have weird stories to tell us, um, about things that move and, um, people whispering. That's the big thing they hear a lot of whispering, um, behind them and, um, so it's, just, it's, it's interesting. It's a creepy, creepy feel. Um, but, I, you know, it's a beautiful building. So,
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Kelly, our time is up, but thanks for being on today. And uh, people can get your book at local bookstores. I'm um, assuming also at the museum. Um, yep. It's. You have it for it's sale there? It's available
1: at the museum. Yep, and we are uh, we sold out so quick we had to turn around and order some more. So it's been super popular here, um, and we've been super happy with uh, the response that we've gotten from folks in Carnersville. They seem to really actually love the book. So um, we are, we're thrilled, um, and we keep, we keep it in
0: stock. <laughs> Absolutely. Are you selling it on your website too?
1: It is on our
0: website, the right. Um You can get it there or, or here or uh, anywhere uh, that you can buy your local book. Sounds great.
1: All right. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you so much.
0: And I want to say thanks to you, the audience, for listening. Honda Kernersville is now available wherever local books are sold and online at arcadiapublishing.com. And as always, thanks to Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook search for their name Jaden Bill's on Name Band project. If you have questions for me or show suggestions, feel free to reach out to me at Arcadia Author Conversations at gmail.com. Thanks and I'll talk with you again soon.